0: Chapter 3 of Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald. Chapter 3 My First Monday at Marshmallows. The next day i might expect some visitors it is a fortunate thing that english society now regards the parson as a gentleman else he would have little chance of being useful to the upper classes but i wanted to get a good start of them and see some of my poor before my rich came to see me so after breakfast on as lovely a monday in the beginning of autumn as ever came to comfort a clergyman in the reaction of his efforts to feed his flock on the sunday i walked out and took my way to the village i strove to dismiss from my mind every feeling of doing duty of performing my part and all that i had a horror of becoming a moral policeman as much as of doing church i would simply enjoy the privilege more open to me in virtue of my office of ministering but as no servant has a right to force his service so i would be the neighbour only until such time as the opportunity of being the servant should show itself the village was as irregular as a village should be partly consisting of those white houses with intersecting parallelograms of black which still abound in some regions of our island just in the centre however grouping about an old house of red brick which had once been a manorial residence but was now subdivided in all modes that analytic ingenuity could devise rose a portion of it which from one point of view might seem part of an old town but you had only to pass round any one of three visible corners to see stacks of wheat and a farmyard while in another direction the houses went straggling away into a wood that looked very like the beginning of a forest of which some of the village orchards appeared to form part from the street the slow winding poplar bordered stream was here and there just visible i did not quite like to have it between me and my village I could not help preferring that homely relation in which the houses are built up like swallow-nests onto the very walls of the cathedrals themselves, to the arrangement here, where the river flowed, with what flow there was in it, between the church and the people. A little way beyond the farther end of the village appeared an iron gate, of considerable size, dividing a lofty stone wall, and upon the top of that, one of the stone pillars supporting the gate which I could see, stood a creature of stone, whether natant, volant, passant, or rampant i could not tell only it looked like something terrible enough for a quite antediluvian heraldry as i passed along the street wondering with myself what relations between me and these houses were hidden in the future my eye was caught by the window of a little shop in which strings of beads and elephants of gingerbread formed the chief samples of the goods within it was a window much broader than it was high divided into lozenge-shaped panes wondering what kind of old woman presided over the treasures in this cave of aladdin I thought to make the first of my visits by going in and buying something, but I hesitated because I could not think of anything I was in want of, at least that the old woman was likely to have. To be sure, I wanted a copy of Bengal's Nomen, but she was not likely to have that. I wanted the fourth plate in the third volume of Law's Behamin. She was not likely to have that either. I did not care for gingerbread, and I had no little girl to take home beads to. But why should I not go in without an ostensible errand? For this reason, there are dissenters everywhere, and I could not tell, but I might be going into the shop of a dissenter. Now, though, I confess, nothing would have pleased me better than that all the dissenters should return to their old home in the church. I could not endure the suspicion of laying myself out to entice them back by canvassing or using any personal influence, whether they returned or not, however, and I did not expect many would. I hoped still, some day, to stand towards every one of them in the relation of the parson of the parish that is, one of whom each might feel certain that he was ready to serve him, or her, at any hour, when he might be wanted to render a service. In the meantime, I could not help hesitating. I had almost made up my mind to ask if she had a small pocket-compass, for I had seen such things in little country shops, I am afraid only in France, though, when the door opened, and out came the little boy by whom I had already seen twice, and who was therefore one of my oldest friends in the place. He came across the road to me, took me by the hand, and said— come and see mother where my dear i asked in the shop there he answered is it your mother's shop yes i said no more but accompanied him of course my expectation of seeing an old woman behind the counter had vanished but i was not in the least prepared for the kind of woman i did see the place was half a shop and half a kitchen a yard or so of counters stretched inwards from the door just as a hint to those who might be intrusively inclined beyond this by the chimney corner sat the mother who rose as we entered she was certainly one i do not say of the most beautiful but until i have time to explain further of the most remarkable women i had ever seen her face was absolutely white no pale cream color except her lips and a spot upon each cheek which glowed with a deep carmine you would have said she had been painting and painting very inartistically so little was the red shaded into the surrounding white now this was certainly not beautiful indeed it occasioned a strange feeling almost of terror at first, for she reminded one of the spectre woman in the rhyme of the ancient mariner, but when I got used to her complexion, I saw that the form of her features was quite beautiful. She might indeed have been lovely, but for a certain hardness which showed through the beauty. This might have been the result of ill health, ill endured, but I doubted it, for there was a certain modelling of the cheeks and lips which showed that the teeth within were firmly closed, and, taken with the look of the eyes and forehead, seemed the expression of a constant and bitter self-command but there were indubitable marks of ill-health upon her notwithstanding for not to mention her complexion her large dark eye was burning as if the lamp of life had broken and the oil was blazing and there was a slight expansion of the nostrils which indicated physical unrest but her manner was perfectly almost dreadfully quiet her voice soft low and chiefly expressive of indifference she spoke without looking me in the face but did not seem either shy or ashamed her figure was remarkably graceful though too worn to be beautiful here was a strange parishioner for me, and a country toy-shop, too. As soon as the little fellow had brought me in, he shrank away through a half-open door that revealed a stair behind. "'What can I do for you, sir?' said the mother coldly, and with a kind of book propriety of speech, as she stood on the other side of the little counter, prepared to open box or drawer at command. "'To tell the truth, I hardly know,' I said. "'I am the new vicar. But I do not think that I should have come in to see you just to-day, if it had not been that your little boy there—' Uh, where has he gone to (laughs) he asked me to come in and see his mother he is too ready to make advances to strangers sir she said this in an incisive tone oh but i answered i am not a stranger to him i have met him twice before he is little darling i assure you he has quite gained my heart no reply for a moment then just indeed and nothing more i could not understand it but a jar on a shelf marked tobacco rescued me from the most pressing portion of the perplexity "'namely, what to say next. "'Would you give me a quarter of a pound of tobacco?' I said. "'The woman turned, took down the jar, arranged the scales, weighed out the quantity, wrapped it up, took the money, "'and all without one other word than, "'Thank you, sir,' which was all I could return, "'with the addition of, Good morning. "'For nothing was left me but to walk away with my parcel in my pocket. "'The little boy did not show himself again. "'I had hoped to find him outside. "'Pondering, speculating, I now set out for the mill, which—' had already learned was on the village side of the river coming to a lane leading down to the river i followed it and then walked up a path outside the row of pollards through a lovely meadow where brown and white cows were eating and shining all over the thick deep grass beyond the meadow a wood on the side of a rising ground went parallel with the river a long way the river flowed on my right that is i knew that it was flowing but i could not have told how i knew it was so slow still swollen it was of a clear brown in which you could see the browner trouts darting to and fro with such a slippery gliding that the motion seemed the result of will without any such intermediate and complicate arrangement as brain and nerves and muscles the water-beetles went spinning about over the surface and one glorious dragonfly made a mist about him with his long wings and over all the sun hung in the sky pouring down life shining on the roots of the willows at the bottom of the stream lighting up the black head of the water-rat as he hurried across the opposite bank glorifying the rich green lake of the grass and giving to the whole an utterance of love and hope and joy which was to him who could read it a more certain and full revelation of god than any display of power and thunder and avalanche and stormy sea those with whom the feeling of religion is only occasional have it most when the awful or grand breaks out of the common the meek who inherit the earth find the god of the whole earth more evidently present i do not say more present for there is no measuring of his presence more evidently present in the commonest things that which is best he gives most plentifully as is reason with him hence the quiet fullness of ordinary nature hence the spirit to them that ask it i soon came within sound of the mill and presently crossing the stream that flowed back to the river after having done its work on the corn i came in front of the building and looked over the half door into the mill the floor was clean and dusty a few full sacks tied tight in the mouth they always looked to me as if joseph's silver cup were just inside stood about in the farther corner the flour was trickling down out of two wooden spouts into a wooden receptacle below the whole place was full of its own faint but pleasant odor no man was visible the spouts went on pouring the slow torrent of flour as if everything could go on with perfect propriety of itself i could not even see how a man could get at the stones that heard grinding away above except he went up the rope that hung from the ceiling so i walked round the corner of the place and found myself in the company of the water-wheel mossy and green with ancient water-drops looking so furred and overgrown and lumpy that one might have thought the wood of it had taken to growing again in its old days and so the wheel was losing by slow degrees the shape of a wheel to become some new awful monster of a pollard as yet however it was going round slowly indeed and with the gravity of age but doing its work and casting its loose drops in the alms giving of a gentle rain upon the little plot of master rogers garden which was therefore full of moisture-loving flowers this plot was divided from the mill-wheel by a small stream which carried away the surplus water and was now full and running rapidly beyond the stream beside the flower-bed stood a dusty young man talking to a young woman with a rosy face and clear honest eyes the moment they saw me they parted the young man came across the stream as a step and the young woman went up the garden towards the cottage that must be old roger's cottage i said to the miller yes sir he answered looking a little sheepish was that his daughter that nice-looking young woman you were talking to "Uh, yes sir it was and he stole a shy please look at me out of the corners of his eyes it's a good thing i said to have an honest experienced old mill like yours that can manage to go on of itself for a little while now and then this gave a great help to his budding confidence he laughed well sir it's not very often it's left to itself and jane isn't at her father's above once or twice a week at most she doesn't live with them then no sir you see they're both hardy and they ain't over well to do and jane lives up at the hall sir she's upper housemaid and waits on one of the young ladies old rogers has seen a great deal of the world sir so i imagine i am just going to see him good morning i jumped across the stream and went up a little gravel walk which led me in a few yards to the cottage door it was a sweet place to live in with honeysuckle growing over the house and the sounds of the softly labouring mill wheel ever in its little porch and about its windows the door was open and dame rogers came from within to meet me she welcomed me and led the way into her little kitchen as i entered jane went out the back door was only to call her father who presently came in i'm glad to see you sir this pleasure comes of having no work to-day after harvest there come slack times for the likes of me people don't care about a bag of old bones when they can get hold of young men well well never mind old woman the lord'll take us through somehow when the wind blows the ship goes when the wind drops the ship stops but the sea is his all the same for he made it and the wind is his all the same too he spoke in the most matter-of-fact tone unaware of anything poetic in what he said. To him it was just common sense, and common sense only. I am sorry you are out of work, I said, but my garden is sadly out of order, and I must have something done to it. You don't dislike gardening, do you? Well, I mean a right good hand at garden work, answered the old man, with some embarrassment, scratching his grey head with a troubled scratch. There was more in this than meet the ear, but what I could not conjecture. I would press the point a little, so I took him at his own word, I won't ask you to do any of the more ornamental part, I said, only plain digging and hoeing. I would rather be excused, sir. I'm afraid I made you think. Oh, I thought nothing, sir. I thank you kindly, sir. I assure you I want the work done, and I must employ someone else if you don't undertake it. Well, sir, my back's bad now. No, sir, I won't tell a story about it. I would just rather not, sir. Now, his wife broke in. Now, old Rogers— why won't ye tell the parson the truth like a man downright if ye won't i'll do it for ye the fact is sir she went on turning to me with a plate in her hand which she was wiping the fact is that the old parson's man for that kind o' of work was simmons to the other end of the village and my man is so afeard o oh, a hurtin or another that he'll turn the bread away from his own mouth and let it fall in the dirt now now old woman, don't be like me i'm not so bad as that you see sir I never was good at one right from wrong like. I never was good, that is, at tellin' exactly what I ought to do. So when anything comes up, I just says to myself, Now, old Rogers, what do you think the Lord would best like you to do? And as soon as I ax myself that, I know directly what I've got to do. And then my old woman can't turn me no more than a bull, and she don't like my obstinate fits. But you see, I daren't, sir, once I axed myself that. Stick to that, Rogers, I said. Besides, sir, he went on, Simmons wants it more than I do. He's got a sick wife, and my old woman, thank God, is hale and hearty. And there is another thing besides, sir. He might take it hurt of you, sir, and think it was turning away an old servant-like. And then, sir, he wouldn't be ready to hear what you had to tell him, and might, mayhap, lose a deal of comfort. And that I would take worst of all, sir. Well, well, Rogers, Simmons shall have the job. Thank ye, sir, said the old man his wife who could not see the thing quite from her husband's point of view was too honest to say anything but she was none the less cordial to me the daughter stood looking from one to the other with attentive face which took everything but revealed nothing i rose to go as i reached the door i remembered the tobacco in my pocket i had not bought it for myself i never could smoke nor do i conceive that smoking is essential to a clergyman in the country though i have occasionally envied one of my brethren in london who will sit down by the fire and lighting his pipe at the same time please his host and subdued the bad smells of the place. And I never could hit his way of talking to his prisoners either. He could put them at their ease in a moment. I think he must have got the trick out of his pipe. But in reality, I seldom think about how. I ought to talk to anybody I am with. That I didn't smoke myself was no reason why I should not help old Rogers to smoke. So I put out the tobacco. You smoke, don't you, Rogers? I said. Well, sir, I can't deny it. It's not much I spend on biquet Anyway, is it, dame?' "'No, that it be'n't,' answered his wife. "'You don't think there's any harm in smoking a pipe, sir?' "'Not the least,' I answered with emphasis. "'You see, sir,' he went on, not giving me time to prove how far I was from thinking there was any harm in it, "'you see, sir, sailors learn many ways they might be better without. "'I used to take me panegrog with the rest of them, "'but I gave that up quite, cause as how as I don't want to now.' "'Cause as how?' interrupted his wife. "'You spend the money on tea for me instead, you wicked old man to tell stories.' well i takes my share of the tea old woman and i'm sure it's a better deal for ye but to tell the truth sir i was a little troubled in my mind about the baquet not knowing whether i got to have it or not for you see the parson that's gone didn't more than half a like it as i could tell by the turn of his hoss-holes when he came in at the door and me a-smoking not as he said anything for you see i was an old man and i dare say that kept him quiet but i did hear him blow up a young chap in the village he came upon promiscuous with a pipe in his mouth did give him a thunderin' broadside, to be sure. So I was in two minds whether I ought to go on with my pipe or not. And how did you settle the question, Rogers? Why, I followed my own old chart, sir. Quite right. One mustn't mind too much what other people think. That's not exactly what I mean, sir. What do you mean, then? I should like to know. Well, sir, I mean that I say to myself, now, old Rogers, what do you think the Lord would say about this here bankay business? And what did you think he would say? Why, sir, I thought he would say— old rogers have your becquet only mind you didn't grumble when you ain't got none something in this i could not at the time have told what touched me more than i can express no doubt it was the simple reality of the relation in which the old man stood to his father in heaven that made me feel as if the tears would come in spite of me and this is the man i said to myself whom i thought i should be able to teach well the wisest learnt most and i may be useful to him after all as i said nothing the old man resumed for you see sir it's not always a body feels he has a right to spend his ha'pence on bakeh and sometimes too he ain't got none to spend in the meantime i said here is some that i brought for you as i came along i hope you will find it good i am no judge the old sailor's eyes glistened with gratitude well who'd a thought it You didn't think i was begging for it sir surely you see i had it for you in my pocket well that is good o you sir why rogers "'That'll last you a month!' exclaimed his wife, looking nearly as pleased as himself. Six weeks at least, wife!' he answered. "'And ye don't smoke yourself, sir, and yet ye bring a vacay to me. "'Well, it's just like your master, sir. "'I went away, resolved that old Rogers should have no chance of grumbling for want of tobacco, "'if I could help it.'" End of chapter 3 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida